podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Tis that time of the season when the ghouls and goblins prowl. Witches ride their broomsticks and bonehead wildcats howl. So scrape your claws together and make some chilling noise for your haunted wildcatters of spooky Bosco boys. Bosco's boys are back. Grant, I don't think really cares about the show anymore, so I got a special guest. But before we get into it, we are sponsored, as always, by MyBookie.ag. Use promo code CHAIR. If you want to make a ton of money and launder it through Bitcoin or some other sketchy way, go to MyBookie.ag. Use promo code CHAIR. 100% deposit match up to $1,000. You can gamble on everything from the NFL to college sports to Japanese league cricket. Yes, you heard me right. Cricket being played on the island of Japan. You can gamble on it over at MyBookie.ag. And then if you don't have big dick energy like our guest, go to BlueChew.com. Use promo code ARMCHAIR. It's the same FDA-approved ingredient you can find at Viagra or Cialis, but it's in a chewable, so you know it works up to five times faster. So if you need a little bit of help in your dick game, Go to bluechew.com, promo code armchair for your first month free. Our guests, you know him, you love him. Like I said, he does not suffer from any sort of penis issues. That is J.L. Kurtz. John, thank you for coming back to the show. You know, I tell you what, when I started in the student radio with big broadcasting dreams, I always imagined I would end up being introed after a, a live read for Japanese cricket gambling and penis pills. And I tell you what, I have absolutely arrived. So thank you, my friend. Hey, I tell you what, on Bosco's Boys, we only have the highest quality of sponsors. Um, you know, we, we've had some local ones in our uh, game review shows. We have a local one as well. I'll give a shout out to Kansas City Direct Primary Care. They're not sponsoring this episode, but you can hear them. After we review K-State's eventual demolishment of TCU in a couple weeks. But uh, only the finest here at Bosco's Boys. Um, John, we are bringing you back on. Like I said, I don't think Grant cares about the show anymore. So I have to bring on studs like yourself. Um, I think the last time you were on, we were talking after, uh, you know, the Mississippi State game. Also on a bye week, things are feeling a little bit different this time around um let's just jump right into it what has been the biggest difference in these last two weeks compared to the first three since the last time we spoke yeah man i tell you what uh the big dick energy that i had the last time i was on here is not quite the same this time around i will tell you that much um but man i mean i think it's just been a cold harsh dose of reality um i think it was easy after winning that mississippi state game to get the expectations uh, far too high and, and start thinking that this rebuild was going to be able to skip multiple steps. And I mean, I, like that's the way it felt at the time. It really did. 
Um, but instead, the limitations of the roster, I think, have come around to to burn this team. And, you know, some issues that I think were probably there early on, but just weren't as apparent because of the level of competition um, and, and sort of the excitement and organization that they had those first couple of weeks made up for it. I think all of that stuff is is coming around. And then I think on top of that, you have a coaching staff that is legitimately learning some lessons. And I don't mean that to say that they're in over their heads. I don't think it has to mean that. I just think that there is an adjustment level to not so much like playing in the big 12, but just playing high quality competition week in and week out. And I I think to me, there's no doubt that Oklahoma state and Baylor are both better significantly than Mississippi state. And so you've taken another step up and then another step up in competition the last two weeks. And I think Chris Kleiman is learning some things and has admitted as much that they overthought some things in the Oklahoma State game, particularly offensively, and that they're still trying to figure out what limitations they have with personnel groupings and how much that they can adjust, basically how much they can put on the plate of certain players at different positions. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of the answers have come back that they can't put as much as they would like to on some of those different plates. And it's just a lot of that coming together. I don't think there's one scapegoat. I don't think there's one easy answer here. I think as usually is the case with something like football, the ultimate team game where there's so many moving parts, I just think there's a lot at play there. There's a lot that needs to be sorted out. And frankly, there's just a a long ways that this program has to go to get back to where we all really want it to be. I don't think that means this team is doomed to be a four-win team or struggle to beat Kansas. I mean, I'm not... I'm not jumping ship to that point, and I'm being fairly calm about all this. I don't think they're as bad as they've looked the last two weeks. I also don't think they're as good as they looked the first three. Yeah, so the one thing that, and I agree with everything that you said, the one thing that I think is, you know, making me take this probably harder than I usually would is the fact that so many folks on the negative side of the spectrum have decided after the last two weeks to go back into their corner, whether they're kind of anti-climbing or folks who maybe aren't anti-Skyler, but uh, let's call them Skyler non-believers, and then uh, just going crazy online on Twitter, message boards, Facebook, etc. cetera. Uh, does the fact that there is still that sizable chunk of the fan base deciding to do that, does it make it harder uh, for you either in the media or as a fan to really be rational through all of this? Cause I know it's only made me go to my corner even harder than before. Yeah. I may have just done a good enough job of tuning it out <clears throat> at this point and haven't paid as much attention to it. But like, I, I think the group of fans that legitimately thinks like I'm referencing basically one thread here on the KSO boards, but you know, the, the simpleton that will say, well, I hope you guys enjoy your, your white uniforms and you, you anti-Bill Snyder people, I hope you're happy. I mean, that is the most simple-minded way of thinking and just not getting it and not seeing the big picture um, that you could possibly have. So, like, I mean, if that's your take, like, hey, it's a free country, you can think what you want, but if you think you should be offended by me coming at you for that take, you, you should be because it's a terrible take. Um, I mean, it's just awful no matter what really happens the rest of this year. I think it's clear where that program was headed, and it's clear that the uniform, I mean, there's no correlation there and all that. So uh, I guess a lot of it I just dismiss as being on the periphery and kind of kind of a ridiculous way to think about it. Now, the, the Skyler stuff is, is a little bit more interesting. 
I think most rational fans, even if they were anti-Kleiman, can understand and take a step back, even as emotional as you are in the moment, can take a step back and be like, okay, look, I mean, th- there are still things that have to be done to get this thing moving in the right direction. And I think can respect that to a degree, even if they don't totally love where things are going. The Skyler stuff, there that's a little bit tougher because I, I think Skyler has become, he's just an easy scapegoat. I mean, I, I just outline, outlined all these reasons why they're struggling and it's complicated and there's a lot of them. And if you're a fan, if you're emotional, you're in the moment, you don't want to buy, hey, there's 18 different things causing this and it's a very complex problem. You want, who do I blame? Who do I go after? Who do I say needs to be fired? Who do I say is the worst quarterback of all time? And I mean, the quarterback is, is who you come to first. I wouldn't put Skylar Thompson in the top five or maybe even ten things that are wrong with this team right now that are causing them to lose. I think um, I think Skylar Thompson's playing at like a C, C-plus kind of a level um, as a quarterback. I do think he was significantly better against Baylor than he was against Oklahoma State, just in terms of not bailing from the pocket and staying in, trusting receivers a little bit more. And I think they were a little bit better for him as well. But I, I think the problem is Skylar, much like the rest of the team, the expectations got way too high after the first three weeks. And I will admit, I mean, I, I wanted to believe that Skyler was a guy good enough to be the number one rated pro football focus uh, quarterback in the country, which he was after three weeks. And I wanted to believe that that would help elevate the play of everybody around him, even if it's subpar cast of characters. I think we're finding out he's not that guy. That doesn't mean he's a bad quarterback. I think it still means he's, he's an average to slightly above average right now uh, Big 12 starting quarterback. And that's not good enough to elevate the group of playmakers or lack thereof that he has around him. And frankly, an offensive line that has not played well the last two weeks. I think they're flying under the radar some because the it's easier to look at the position players, the skill position players, and say, well, those guys are former walk-ons and not athletic. And now the offensive line has been pretty bad, I, I think, the last two weeks and leaves a lot to be desired. So he just, I hate to keep, sounding like I'm making excuses for Skyler throughout his career, but he just has not been dealt a great a great hand. I mean, the guy desperately wants a playmaker, as evidenced by Malik Knowles plays four snaps in the game on Saturday, and Skyler Thompson targets him four times. I mean, he just so badly wants somebody that can go up and make a play. So I don't think Skyler is really the, the big issue. Um, you just see him struggling more because of everything that's going on around him so it's it's again a very complex thing and i think that's the harder and more frustrating one uh for me to try to sell to people because i do get emotionally wrapped up in it i like skyler a lot as a dude and a quarterback and i feel for him for what happened last year so i very much want him to succeed and probably do defend him more than i would the average quarterback there's no doubt about that and i think that's where a lot of the pushback comes in from as well but my my hope and thought is right now that a couple days after the loss, as the dust has settled, that everybody is starting to become a little bit more rational about everything and that eventually we can all kind of get back on track here with what reasonable expectations are for Skyler, the program, etc. So you mentioned the offensive line there, and I agree with you 100%. Through the first three games, I was coming onto this podcast, I was – calling, you know, Connor Riley the second coming of insert whoever the greatest offensive line coach is here. I don't know who that would be, but, I, you know, I was singing his phrases. I was saying, you know, the pull and power, the greatest thing ever. I was even taking pot shots at Coach Dickey. Uh, but then, of course, the last two games have happened. 
you mentioned it. It's something that I've really tried to focus on. And my question for you is this, uh, despite, you know, having all that success versus Mississippi State and what you would think is a more physical defensive line, they haven't been able to win their one-on-one blocks at the pole and power schemes are really set on. Do you think it almost might be worth Coach Messingham migrating back to uh, a little bit heavier on the zone play calls because when you go to zone, there are more double teams working to that next level versus just hat-on-hat, one-on-one blocking. Do you think that's something we will see? And if we won't see it, do you think that is something they should do? I think it's an interesting question. And and honestly, I feel like, uh, and I say this all the time, I have to defer some of this to people that I deem smarter than me because I don't, I don't feel qualified watching offensive line play for the most part and really trying to come out with a definitive opinion on what is going on. I will say that a part of my opinion on how poor the offensive line play has been the last couple of weeks comes from Derek Young, who is a guy that's trained in being a talent, talent evaluator and definitely knows what he's talking about on the offensive line. And sitting next to him for the Baylor game, he was pointing things out as they happened. And I would see it and think, okay, yes, that is right. I would not have picked up on that and noticed it myself. Lots of problems. Um, Polder's not getting around in time. Guys kind of stumbling over each other. And I, I think some of it is just it's not even that the offensive line isn't that talented, but you have some some guys that were they were recruited to block a different way, a different kind of a blocking scheme. And so that stuff can be tougher for them. Um, I know like Josh Revis is one where I think, you know, he's a guy that is just built a little bit differently and can at times struggle uh, to do what they're wanting him to do with all of that. So I think, I think they probably will make an adjustment. Um, I, again, I don't know that I know like, okay, let's go zone blocking and run these plays and but it's not, I just don't know that I'm qualified to do that, but I will say on the surface, it seems like it makes sense. And KSU underscore fan who's another guy that I sat next to at the game on Saturday. I can remember him saying a couple times, like, hey, it's the zone stuff that seems to be working better right now. So that that all seemingly makes sense, and I feel like a lot of smart people would be on board with that notion. But offensive line is one where I just I have a hard time wading into the waters too strongly um, just because I, I try to step back and say, look, I mean, frankly, I probably we probably should be that like all across the board with, with football, right? I mean, it's like Bill Snyder said. Uh, because you're not a coach, that's why you don't understand. But <laughs> I think I think it's even it's even amplified even more with uh, with the offensive line. Well, I will uh, I, I'll, I'll take your I'll take your word for it. If if KSU underscore fan, aka Jimmy and Derek Young were echoing some stuff up there watching the game, I uh, I don't know too many duos smarter than those guys. They they are great. Like I, you know, I know that I'm friends with them, and I'm going to be biased and predisposed to really singing their praises but i am really genuinely very impressed by it i mean derek obviously works his ass off um and is is just i can tell how much he's trusted by the guys at rivals and not just matt but like nationally at at rival town evaluation you know for regional prospects and that stuff like he's legitimately very sharp and then man i mean jimmy ksu underscore fan like that guy, I mean, he coaches locally at, at Junction City. He's been doing it for a long time. He's got a really good football mind. And it's it's fun, honestly, sitting next to him and seeing him pick up on things. And he'll kind of say, you know, he can almost do a little bit of the Tony Romo kind of thing. Like, okay, this is what they're showing here, and this is what might be happening. 
dude thinks like a coach because he is a coach. And, um, you know, I know it's, it's the high school level and some people might scoff at that, but he's legitimately a, a smart football mind. And it's, it's fun getting to, to be around those guys and kind of soak up their, their knowledge. I tell you what, Jimmy is, he's the Jack of all trade because I sat next to him, I think for four or five basketball games last year. And that guy, he, I mean, he can do it all. He can talk football. He can talk basketball. I think he's also a tennis coach. That dude, I, there, there aren't too many guys I stand harder than KSU underscore fan. Totally agree. Totally agree. And you're right. I mean, yeah, he's been a, he's been an assistant on the Junction City basketball staff for a really long time as well. So, um, he, he definitely knows what he's talking about. He's a great, great resource. Highly encourage you to go follow him. KSU underscore fan on Twitter. Yep. And then you can always catch his gift parties over at K state online. We'll give them a little plug as well. Hashtag tell your friends. Um, so you have this interesting, uh, you know, dynamic. I think of all the media folks, I, I look at you and Matt who are able to do, the journalist thing and still kind of keep part of your fandom. So being able to wear both of those hats, what has it been like and what has the mood been around the players and coaches during the media availability, you know, after the Oklahoma State game, going all through the buildup to Baylor and now the aftermath of that Baylor game? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I would say that as far as the players and like Chris Kleiman are concerned, I've been pretty impressed with how they've handled things. Um, when, when it started going South, um, Chris Kleiman is kind of just the same guy. He's pretty steady. I mean, to his credit, while all of us were running around when they were three and O and getting crazy and spread BE and all that. I mean, he was pretty headed and wasn't really, I, I was honestly a little bit surprised after the Mississippi state game to see how even keeled he was with all of that. And so that, that has stayed pretty steadfast through the losses. Now that, you know, there have been some things that have rubbed in the wrong way. I think in particular question today at the, at the press conference <laughs> um, that they, they bristled at, but you know, I mean, for the most part, he's doing his best to just stay the same and keep preaching the message of positivity. I mean, that's, that's definitely a thing you can tell with these players. Um, I think Chris Kleiman and his staff, knew going in, and that's a part of why they weren't uh, shouting from the mountaintops how good they were at 3-0. They, they knew going in the limitations that they had roster-wise in general and that it was going to be a challenge. And I think even with that, they're still saying, look, you know, the, the old approach was kind of, all right, we are under-talented, but it's just going to be scream, execution, 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 until something gets better and, and more kind of the fire and brimstone. We're going to just will our way into that. Whereas I think here, it's more, hey, look, Chris Kleiman understands that they do have a bunch of limitations, but he wants to make sure that those guys still maintain confidence and have positivity and know that the coaches believe in them and that eventually that's going to pay off and that they will have the confidence to keep going out there and making plays instead of, okay, we're losing and we're not getting that reinforcement from coach. And, you know, by the end of last year, it just all sort of turned into a drag where they weren't having any fun. So I think that's, that's been the real emphasis um, from Chris Kleiman. And you can tell just by the way the, the players talk and what they say, and even just picking up little hints of things and talking to some people just around the program being up there today, there was a little bit of extra emphasis and paying a little bit extra attention on what players were going and what the questions were going to be. And I think just trying to make sure that it didn't get too negative and they're trying to keep the players from hearing 
too much of the noise. And they also, one thing I can also tell you just from talking to some folks is like, I mean, they, they hear and see the fan reaction. They're very well aware of, you know, how, how crazy Twitter can get when you start losing some games. They're pretty hyper aware of that. And so I, I'm not telling you to, you know, caution yourself based on that. I'm just telling you that they're very aware of that. And because of it, they want to make sure that they can, they can kind of insulate the players to as positive of an environment as possible. So you mentioned something that uh, I, I was questioning whether I was going to touch on or not. Uh, in this world of social media, you say that they are aware of what's being said. How do you think they handle uh, a, you know, and it's not just fans, it's, you know, national media, regional media consistently talking about how K-State maybe has the worst set of, you know, skilled players in the conference. Oh, the worst wide receivers, bad secondary, et cetera, going into the season. Uh, and then do you think they then overcorrected by reading their into their own hype after that 3-0? and And then also, how do they take it when they see how toxic Twitter can get during games? I mean, it seems like both guys do a pretty good job with it. I remember Wyatt Hubert after the Oklahoma State game did make a comment like, man, I forgot how <laughs> I forgot how negative of a place Twitter can be um, after a game. So they definitely see it. Dalton Schoen, um, who's a guy that I tell you what, if there's somebody that I, I like so much more under the new coaching staff talking to, it's Dalton Schoen because he was because he had to be a robot beforehand. And now he's somebody you can get a pretty good quote from and he'll just be brutally honest with you. I mean, he knew that the receivers sucked against Oklahoma state and basically said as much. And they had a receivers only, you know, quote unquote team meeting Dalton Reisner Memorial uh, receivers <laughs> team meeting. And, um, and at that meeting, he said they, so I don't know what specifically they were referencing, but somehow it got brought up that someone had said that they had the worst wide receivers in the big 12 and that that was a talking point at the meeting to, to try and be better and prove them wrong. So they're all definitely hearing it, and I'm sure with different kids it's different. Um, you know, I mean, what, like John Holcomb, for instance, when he was on the tee, he's the kind of guy that would tweet back at somebody. Um, and so you would have some of that from some folks. But my impression has been that it's not that big of a deal, that they, they are doing okay with it, at least the guys that we talk to, which is pretty much anybody that we ask uh, to talk to these days. So. I don't perceive it to be a big problem, but I'm sure that different guys take it differently and that it's it's harder for some than others. And, you know, we know the guys that we probably pick on more than others. I mean, honestly, Skylar Thompson, he would be one guy that, you know, he's a good leader, but he, he is the guy that takes, as I said, kind of the blunt of a lot of criticism and can become a scapegoat. And, and he's also just an emotional guy, more so than some. He wears his emotions on his sleeve positively and negatively. Um, so he's someone I wonder about, you know, how he handles it and deals with it. But when he talks to us, he's fine and seems cool, calm, collected. And he says the things that you would want from the leader of your team. So I'm not too terribly worried about it at this point, but it does, you know, you start to think I, I can remember last year and in 2015 when the long losing streaks happened, you know, like, man, it did become a drag and, and us in the media were having to ask the same questions over and over again. And they're all, kind of shitty for lack of a better word because there's just nothing great to talk about and so if you do lose the TCU game and then you have Oklahoma coming up next and that could be a couple week stretch there where 
it, it becomes a drag. So right now, I don't think it's any glaring problem, but we'll see if uh, if things continue to go south. So we've mainly been talking when referencing this team, talking about the offense. Um, I, I'm going to ask, and it's going to be a pretty general question about the defense, but I think they've played well enough to give K-State a chance to win the last two weeks. But something that I'm you know, starting to get a little worried about is – uh, how prone they are to be giving up the big play. So I, I think, you know, despite you trying to play a little bit coy, I think you're a pretty savvy football guy. So I want to know from your perspective, do you think that's based more on, uh, you know, execution, not being able to tackle, et cetera? Or is this just kind of, hey, the new world where Scotty Hazleton's going to play a little bit more, uh, aggressive than we've become, you know, used to in the Hayes defenses. There's probably uh, some of both at work there, but I, I think a lot of it with the defense is like, and I, first of all, I agree with your assertion a hundred percent. They, they absolutely have played well enough. I would say the last two weeks uh, to win. And, and I know you say, well, they gave up 31 to Baylor and I mean, you know, bad tackling. Yes. But I think in the same way that I would say <clears throat> Skylar Thompson's pocket awareness gets affected because he has receivers that aren't getting open and you start to think, well, man, like I just I don't know if I can trust them. Like it makes it more difficult to do everything else that you normally would be doing. I think for the defense, it's probably hard for them when over and over again, the offense is struggling. They're getting put back on the field faster and they just, you know, let, let's be honest. They probably don't have faith in their minds that the offense is going to score enough to really keep them in the game. So they're thinking, man, I have to be perfect here. We have to create, we have to get the big play can cause you to press some. And then you wind up with like AJ Parker, just trying to go for a giant hit instead of wrapping up. And it turns into a huge play. And I think it's just a tough thing. And it, it seems to wear on them throughout games. It seems like the bigger plays start to happen more frequently toward the end of games. And I don't think it's just the normal sort of fatigue. I'm sure there's, there has to be a mental aspect to that. And um, so I, I cut the defense some slack for that. I think Scotty Hazleton has done a tremendous job. I love the way he can switch it up and bring different looks and get pressure in different sorts of ways. I think they're doing a lot of very good things. Um, it is a problem and they, you know, tackling is not great, but I do think the good news is tackling is a fairly fixable issue. And I think they're showing that they at least have competitive enough athleticism on that side of the ball which I wasn't totally sure of going into the year. So I guess long story short, I'm just, I'm not as not, not nearly as concerned about the defense as the offense right now. Um, I still think they're going to be okay. Unless if the offense continues to only put up 12 points per game, then okay. That mental stuff that I'm talking about, that's going to start extrapolating out throughout the season. But in a vacuum right now through five games, I'm still pretty happy to be honest with, with what the defense is right now. So the last time we were on, we started, uh, at least I was getting ahead of myself a little bit, dreaming of what this season could be. Now that we kind of got a little bit of a reality check or a, you know, a come back to the median type performance the last two weeks, where is your head currently sitting at when it comes to expectations for us this season and where we're sitting right now, would you, if you were going to go to mybookie.ag, use promo code CHAIR, would you be gambling on this team to get to at least six wins and a bowl game? I come back to where I was at the beginning of the season, teetering between five and six wins. But I, 
I will stick with something actually I heard Matt Hall say, and I, I would say that I'm still more confident through five games in this staff and what they're putting together and what they're doing than I was before the season, just now having seen some of this play out. And a lot of that is big picture based and not necessarily so much for this year, but I'm going to lean because I've seen enough positive things like that on the side of they'll find a way to scratch out six wins. And I know right now it's like, hey, the team that played the last two weeks, the offense that played the last two weeks, they're going to have a hard time beating anybody. I understand those concerns, but in life, most of the time, it's never as good as you think, and it's never as bad as you think, and I think they are somewhere in between. I think they still have games against I – mean, look, TCU, TCU has not been very good. Uh, I know that they have a, a fairly legitimate defense, but they have struggled to get some pass rush, which would be a welcome sign with, with K-State's offensive line. They really struggled with that against Baylor. And their offense is just – I mean, you, you think K-State's offense is bad. TCU's has been – just as bad at times and just as anemic uh, at times this year. So I think that's a very winnable game. Obviously, West Virginia at home is a very winnable game. Obviously, Kansas is a very winnable game. Um, I mean, I know Texas Tech looked impressive this past week, but they're a perfect example of how quick things can change. I mean, who had them being anything competitive after they lost at Arizona and lost their quarterback? And, and they have figured it out at least for now, to go win a big game against Oklahoma State. I would still put that game in the somewhat winnable category, and I'd still put Iowa State at home in the somewhat winnable category. Iowa State's so, a lock. I don't I, know I th- what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, they're, they're Iowa State, so they have to lose that game, probably after a 10-hour weather delay because Iowa State can't play a damn game without a weather delay. They aren't delay. the flood um, Aggies for no reason, man. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Flood, Aggie, Flood Aggie and Colt Aggie are the two best uh, Aggies out there. Iowa State is proudly holding one of those down. So, you know, I mean, you add all that up, I think there is opportunity there still for them to get to a bowl, which would be tremendous. I would also say if you're looking for for signs of hope and to think down the line like that, one thing Kleiman's doing right now that I love is he has basically said, okay, we're learning the limitations this team has athleticism right now without Malik Knowles and playmaking ability is a big one. Chris Herring, come on down. Joe Irvin, come on down. We're going to live with maybe having to shrink the playbook when you're out there on the field. We're going to live with some freshman mistakes. Uh, we're going to live with a drop when, when you do get open your first time there uh, for Chris Herring with reference to him. But we're going to do that because getting game reps will help accelerate your growth. And that's one of the things Snyder just wasn't doing at the end of Snyder 2.0, which which made it feel so hopeless. They would do things to try and scratch out as much as they could to get to six wins, but it was not playing the more athletic players so that down the road your team can really become better and you're really truly building to something. And I think Kleiman's doing that with, with those two and then Josh Youngblood, getting him out there a lot more. And I think those players will become much better by the end of the season. And that is something that if you're looking at it right now and saying, well, on paper right now, like where is the offense coming from? Where is this going to happen? I think those guys hopefully improving. They said they put a big emphasis in practice this week on getting those younger players reps against the ones in practice um, to, to help speed up their growth and development. I think that's another area where I think it could turn some at the end of the year. And then hopefully this team looks a lot different by the end of the season. Well, I I like what you said. I think I'm going to need you to, you know, give me a personal pep talk after every game rest of this, uh, rest of this year because 
everything you say, I think, makes sense to K-State football fans, but being able to hear it from your, you know, just perfect radio voice just makes it all that much more real. So thanks, thanks for, you know, ma- making me feel better about the future of this team. I'm not wavering, but it, it feels good to be reassured. So one thing I do want to touch on, we're going to have a couple questions about one of my favorite topics, uniforms. Uh, I, I need to know, ignoring how they played on the field, how did you really like those white helmets and white pants? Was it everything that you could have dreamed for? I thought it was pretty sweet. Yeah, I thought I thought they looked really sharp. Uh, being down on the field, hanging out like an hour before the game, um, I thought I thought honestly they almost looked more impressive to me up close in person than they did further away. Um, it was a, I thought a little bit tougher to notice the you know any drastic drastic difference further away, but I, I thought they were sharp. I thought it's a, a really good step in the right direction. It seemed like a pretty happy medium um, for, for a lot of people, even if you are a traditionalist and somebody that loves the power cat and what the uniforms had been. And I just think they're so smart with the way that they're doing it. Obviously, the rollout and the way that they, they publicize it with social media and stuff has just been great. And I think they know what this fan base is and how to make it palatable to most people. And they're doing it in a smart, strategic way, um, how they're rolling it out. So I... I give it really pretty much an A um, with with everything that they've done, with how the uniforms looked, to just the whole strategy behind it and what they've done so far. One of the most underrated things about going white helmets, white pants that I didn't realize until I got into the stadium and watched it, and I, I, I'm curious if you picked up on this as well. Number one, all of the player accessories, whether it's purple or white, look so much better with the white helmets and white pants, it all seems to match. It kind of, if you go and look, anytime someone would wear a white wristband or white undershirt, all that type of stuff, with the gray helmet and gray pants, it just doesn't seem to fit. And another thing that I never in a million years would have thought of until I got in there, it just looks so much better down on the field because you don't see any silver on the field. All The sidelines are white the purple and white end zones, it just all seems like it was 100% planned aesthetically, you know, from a top-down approach. And those are two things I never in a million years would have thought I would have noticed. But even my colorblind father, uh, who's been a reoccurring guest, Kevin McFarland, shout out dad, he even noticed how it matched with the field going to the white helmets and white pants. So I vote that that just becomes our new home uniform. I'd be all for it. I honestly would. I mean, I, I think like what you're saying, I, I know it's kind of the same. It just, it makes everything pop more. Um, it's just got more, more pop, more pizzazz to it. Not quite as dull, um, which I think is honestly a pretty fair representation of, of a lot more than just uh, what what's happening with the pure threads. And the universe. Yep. Another thing I never thought I was going to see, uh, you know, being a child that grew up and only basically knew Snyder football was the entire coaching staff decked out in the olive military appreciation gear. What did you think about uh, Coach Kleiman and almost the entire staff rocking the military gear? I, I actually like that. And I say that in a somewhat surprised voice. Um, I guess I don't know why it sounds like such a surprised voice, but the, the reason that I would say is because I'm typically not – I'm not like rah-rah camo guy. I, I just am not somebody that I feel like can pull off camo. 
And believe me, like, I don't say any of this to say that I'm like anti-military by any stretch of the imagination, but it's just never been my style to like go out there and, and rock the camo stuff. So that's, that's not really in my, you know, wheelhouse, but I thought they made that look really good. Um, I, I would say shout out to Nike, first of all, for the design with that to where it's, you know, and it wasn't total like all out camo, but it fit the vibe. And, you know, I thought just blended in really well and is a cool, it's a very cool thing to do. It's a cool way to, to honor Fort Riley for Fort Riley day and do that whole thing very well. So I thought that was really sharp, honestly, too. All right. And then we're going to keep the uniform vibe going. Uh, K-State men's basketball unveiled their first two uh, new uniforms of the season. They're going through a full uniform refresh. What were your thoughts when you saw the first two uniforms on Instagram and Twitter when it first dropped? And then did it change at all last night, this morning, when all the pictures and videos from the photo shoot uh, for the video board came out, seeing all the players actually rock the purple uniforms? Okay, so here's where we might finally have some dissension. Um, I'll fight you. I I'm I'm undecided. I'm kind of in the middle on the basketball uniforms. Uh, I feel like I got a much better idea of what they were from the the Instagram pictures that we saw within the last 24 hours. I think it was really hard. Like when I first, they just had the pictures of them up close. It I was like, look, I can't really tell at all what's going on here i'm definitely not going to make a judgment uh i like the new shade of purple i don't know that i'm terribly crazy at this point about the the striping and stuff on the sides Ooh, see um, i lo- it's it's like a retro feel to these jerseys i mean they look if you if you get rid of the font and the number it, that's like straight out of like the 1980s, 1970s. And I'm all about that kind of faux back aesthetic when it comes to basketball uniforms. So I, I have to agree well, with so you it's, big time it, it, there. It's interesting that you say that because, uh, and I realize I'm somebody, I'm all for that cat script on the front of the helmet. Like put it everywhere, put it on a hel- put it on the side of the helmet and it would look awesome. Um, even though I realize like a lot of people's problem with it is 1988, they were 0 and 11, whatever, when they had that and brings up bad memories. I, the thing that I thought when I saw the purple basketball uniforms, I'd have to go look deep in the archive somewhere to find a picture, but they looked like the spitting image. I thought of these Asbury era uniforms that they had when they were Reebok. Um, and you know, it's like, they're very like early 90s early mid 90s i thought and it reminded me of asbury and obviously that's not a great era and i just thought that uh, those asbury uniforms are a little cheesy the font was more cheesy on the asbury era ones too that i'm remembering where the k-state kind of starts out with the k it's bigger and then it funnels down yeah i, I, as, I know as what across to the k-state yeah. i so i i have a little bit of that in me where i'm like you know I'm not going to rush the judge and I'm certainly not going to trash them. And I, I, it sounds like there's going to be a lot of cool other surprises coming with the basketball uniforms. So I'm on board with all of it and I'm never going to say, Hey, don't, don't try some things and don't do things differently. I'm just not, I'm not as all in on them as I was with the football uniforms. I guess I'll put it. Well, that hurts my heart a little bit, but you know, I'll, I'll give you a pass for that. And I, I will say if, 
everything that I've uh, been led to believe is true, there's at least two more that are coming that are absolutely elite, and one of them is my all-time favorite K-State uniform of any sport. So I cannot wait for that to drop. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I, I can't wait. I can't wait for all of the K-State fans and the players to see it when it happens. Uh, we will move on from that. We're, basketball is right around the corner, and I, I, I said it on Twitter, and I think you agree with me. I think basketball should not start until January. But facts are facts, and it's right around the corner. So we're not going to dive too deep into it. But I do want to get you on the record for a few predictions right here. I'm not going to send a boogeyman after you if you change any of this up. But as we sit here tonight, it is the 8th of October at 849. What is your prediction for the very first starting lineup of this season? Oh, boy. Oh, man. Um, Well, first of all, there is not a cause and a take I can get behind harder than start college basketball in effing January. I mean, it's just sensory overload right now. There's too much going on. I can't devote as much attention to basketball as I feel like it deserves or as I would like to because we have football going on. And it's it's a, it's a pain, and it kind of – like it pains me because I, I would like to be able to put my full attention and focus in the whole season. And then, you know – April and May, when you're starting to freak out because there's not as much going on, what if you had two more months of college basketball? It would just—I feel like it's just—it's it, a no-brainer. It makes here's too the much thing sense. about college basketball, um, real quick, and I'm so, sorry to rant, especially since you agree with me. College basketball literally takes a backseat until January, and then honestly, until almost after the Super Bowl. So you're waiting until the second week. In February last year, they put the championship classic or whatever they call it for two marquee, some of the best non-conference basketball games in the world. And guess what? Not a single soul watched because guess what? In every even year, that's freaking election night. Like it's it's not <laughs> even just college football, NFL, NBA, uh, baseball playoffs for Mason. Shout out to Mason with the worst Twitter account in the world. Uh it's also then elections like college basketball is not even like a top five priority for, you know, a, a sports fan like myself and you and like just generic sports fans who like college basketball. There's it, they hurt themselves. There, there's no reason. No one cares. Uh, but, yeah, you, you agree with me. I, I just well, I, I, I just don't understand yeah. what the point is. I mean, look, I don't it's hard for me to get us into college basketball these days for a number of reasons as I used to, but that would be something that would help if it's the, the main thing, my main squeeze sports wise at that point in time. And I could embrace it the whole time. That would, that would help a lot. So yeah, I, you're, you're preaching to the choir, man. It, it just makes way too much. sense. Well, I, uh, I'm going to write a letter to Mr. Emmert. I, I know he has nothing going on in Indianapolis at the NCAA right now. So I'll, just, just tell Gene. Me and Gene will take care of it. He'll, I, he'll no, it. I think uh, Gene and I are going to have to have some words. I think it's time that he needs to start embracing uh, Nike just a little bit more than he is. But uh, that might be a conversation for a different day. So I think uh, I need to come back to it. I, I need to hold you to it. I need to hear who you think the first starting five oh, is going to be. Lineup. Starting lineup. Um, all right. So you got, you got Mac, you got Cardi, you got X. Um, I am going to say, oh boy, 
I mean, I don't think they'll start like my, honestly, like I've been hearing a lot of buzz about Levi Stocker. Like I could see Stocker at the five Mac at the four X kind of at the three, but I mean, they are trying to tell X that they'll play the four and then maybe like, I feel like, am I missing somebody obvious? Would it be like Cardi and, and Mike in the backcourt then? That is the, uh, that's that the first sense? starting five Flando predicted. So you'd be in good company. Yeah, I'd say probably at least to start the year, Cardi, Mike, X, uh, and then the two bigs, Mac and Stocker. They Bruce really did – he was high on what Stocker did this summer. He had a little bit of an injury that set him back at the end of the summer, but they, they really seemed convinced that Levi had a good, good summer, in better shape, all those things. Um, so we'll see what that actually means. But that, to me, would lead me to believe, okay, veteran, he's now an upperclassman. He's been around a while. They're raving about his summer – Probably a guy that will start the year in the starting five. Okay, the next prediction. It is March. It's in the Sprint Center. K-State just demolished Iowa State in the semifinals. And they're playing Texas in the Big 12 championship game. Who's the starting five for that game? So, ideally, I'm basically just going to answer this. Like, I think highest ceiling starting five would be uh, Cardi, Dejuan, um X, Mac, and Montavious Murphy is probably your best case scenario starting five, I would say. I'll take it. That'll be uh that that's a squad that's gonna beat Texas. Uh hang the banner now, Big Twelve Tournament Champions. So here here's here's the next one. These are the final four predictions. I'll get you out before uh, I'll let you address the boneheads and uh, I'll let you have the rest of your evening back. So after two weeks of Big 12 play, where does K-State football finish in the Big 12 conference? I will say that K-State finishes eighth in the Big Ooh. 12. Man. Maybe seventh. Yeah. I waffle between seventh and eighth. It's hard. And it's like I just look at the, the bottom four just like we did going into the year. And it's like right now, I mean, you're asking me right now where Texas Tech did just do something impressive and I'm probably a little prisoner of the moment there. I'll, I'll say they, they do stay in front of West Virginia and Kansas. All right, well, as long as we're going to a bowl game, I will accept that. So the next question, before any game is played at any level, where does K-State basketball finish in conference play? I'm very high on basketball relative, I think, to like most people's expectations. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little froggy here today. I'm going to say uh, K-State finishes fourth. Grant Flanders picked us third, so you're not even the most optimistic of the young, elite K-State media members. So, I th- Well, you know, <laughs> Flando, Flando, you know, he'll pump a lot of sunshine. That he will. Know. All right. What seed is K-State basketball in the NCAA tournament? Let's say, uh, uh, I'll say an eight. I know it sucks because you get stuck in, you know, the eight, nine with the one seed draw. Seven would be a lot better, but I'm, I'm going to go eight. All right. And then the final question, when it is all said and done, what will KU's punishment from the NCAA be when they lay down the law? Yeah, I think, uh, well, the problem is I think they're going to get a punishment and then, once it, it once Kansas tries to take it to federal court, like I, 
who the hell knows what happens at that point. But I would guess that the NCAA will come down and say, uh, I would say like a one year postseason ban. Um, maybe a, a couple scholarship reduction over, you know, a period of whatever, it, you know, it usually feels like it's like what, three or four years to do the scholarship reduction. Um, and I, man, I think the NCAA seems bound and determined right now to slap Bill Self with a show cause. And he's sure, certainly not doing anything to help himself there. I think Bill Self will get some kind of uh, show cause in there as well, which, you know, you're getting into pretty complicated stuff. I don't think that really technically means like Kansas would have to fire him or get rid of him. But I mean, the way he's just been emboldened in all this stuff since that happened, like I think that will happen. And then Kansas will try and take it to federal court and we'll see where it goes from there. But I do think they'll get hit with fairly major stuff. All right. Well, that's all we got. Uh, tell all the boneheads slash bonehounds where they can find you. Where should they be downloading your stuff? And uh, give a shout out to uh, Nasty Dog, Snoop Dogg's mascot, if you want as well. <laughs> Man, I will give a shout out to Snoop Dogg because – the most fun concert I've ever been to in my life was uh, Snoop Dogg and Wiz Khalifa at Horizon Cricket Sandstone, whatever the hell amphitheater it is nowadays. And uh, it, man, it was a blast. And I'm telling you, like, if Jeff Long would have just asked me, I could have told him exactly what he was getting because there were inflatable blunts that were thrown into the crowd to, like, beat around like beach balls. Uh, definitely some acrobatic dancers uh, displaying their talents at times. Um, I could have told them exactly what they were getting, but, uh, if you want, if you want my work, including my own, uh, special Kansas remix of gin and juice by Snoop Dogg, uh, you can check out my YouTube channel, which is just John Kurtz on uh, YouTube. I did a live chat actually today with Matt Hall after the press conference. Um, and, uh, it's, look, it's not the greatest quality right now. I'm just trying it out and trying to get that going, but I'd appreciate it if you subscribe to the channel. There's a bunch of cool um, videos from press conferences. You get to hear from some of the players um, and all of that. And I've got some cool stuff in the works. Follow me on Twitter at JL Kurtz. Uh, I've got the Faithful to Our Colors podcast, which is through 610 Sports in Kansas City. Um, you can find that on Apple and Google Podcasts. And then The Game, which is the daily show from 4 to 6. You can find that on Apple and Google Podcasts. And uh, let's see, Powercat Game Day, K-State pregame show, four hours before kickoff every Saturday on K-Man and K-Rock. Uh, so there are, there are a lot of places, a lot of places where you can find it. Well, that's what I like to hear. John, thank you so much for coming on. Again, a shout-out to Grant, who just doesn't care about us or the Boneheads anymore. And, uh, yeah, everyone be sure to follow John and listen to all of his audio and watch all of his videos. He truly is the best when it comes to putting out digital content for K-State fans. I've been listening to their show uh, for a very long time, and the evolution of John's talent is second to none. K-State fans are spoiled rotten having you in Manhattan doing two hours worth of sports talk every day. Uh, there isn't a small college town in America that has uh, a guy like you doing it on a daily basis. So I want to thank you uh, because you put out my favorite content on a daily basis. Uh, Boneheads, keep riding with us. Everything's Going to be hella fun. We're still doing three shows a week. And uh, let's see. Let's put someone in the doghouse. Uh, it's been a while since we've done that. So everyone who is listening to this right now, do not 
tweet anything about the show, don't do it. Don't tag the show. Don't tag me. Don't tag John. But everyone tweet a gif of, what's a random animal, of otters. Tweet gifts of otters to Matt Hall. <laughs> I think it is Matthew underscore D Hall on Twitter. Is that his Twitter handle? I believe yep. so. So, yep. all right. After you listen to this, if you're listening to this right now, everyone tweet gifts of otters or pictures of otters to Matthew underscore D underscore Hall. But do not say anything about it. Just tons of otters. Um, and one lucky winner, one lucky person who does that, I'll be monitoring the Twitter feed, will get some Bosco's Boys koozies. So uh, happy hunting for good otter pictures and gifts. We love you guys. Uh, look for Grant at the cat head because we don't know where he is. Let me buy you a train. I'm T Pain. You know me. Convict music never pulls. I know the club goes at three. What's the chance to you rolling with me? Back to the creek. Show you how I live. Let's get drunk and forget what we did. I'm buy you a train.
Social Podcast Network.